right now we're going to proceed to our uh, Scripture reading. And you'll notice in your order of service that it comes from uh, a book called The Song of Solomon, or some people call it The Song of Songs. And uh, it's going to create some problems for us. Uh, One problem it already created is uh, I asked for lots of help with the Scripture reading today. Nobody wanted to help. And uh, so I'm on my own this morning for our Scripture reading. It's going to create four kinds of problems for us as we look at this book of Scripture. The first is some of us are going to think, this is strange. I didn't know there was a book in the Bible that celebrated romantic love and celebrated the most intense expression of that kind of love in sexual intimacy. This is weird to be in church and hear somebody read and talk about this. Uh, some of us will experience another problem. It will it'll, it'll sound like this. I don't belong. I'm not in a romantic relationship right now that's leading toward marriage. I'm not married. I've never been married. I may not even want to be married. I'm not in that kind of relationship. So if there's a book in the Bible that talks all about that and I'm not like that, then I don't belong. We're going to answer that problem along the way. Another problem that will be raised as we think about love and marriage and sexuality will be this sense of we are broken. We've already expressed that in a prayer of confession today. But when we say we are broken, we're asking, can any of that brokenness be undone? Yes. Yes, we will undo it today. Not all of it, but the Lord will speak to us and he will undo some of what has been distorted and twisted in our hearts and lives. Final problem is this sense of, man, I need something way bigger. (laughs) You read this whole book, we won't read the whole thing, but, but God's name isn't even mentioned anywhere in this book. You could walk away from the Song of Songs feeling like this is just a collection of love poems. This is sort of like romance for dummies in the Bible. It's like a biblical self-help book. And I need something way bigger than self. Yeah, we'll, we'll address that problem too. So let's start with that first one as we prepare to hear the Scripture reading. That first problem. This is strange. Some of you are going to blush as I read this morning's scripture text, because you're like, I can't believe he said that word. I'm reading from the Bible. Some of you are going to feel embarrassment. Some of you are going to feel something deeper, shame. Like not only am I embarrassed, but I think sexuality is somehow wrong. God doesn't think that. He doesn't want you to think that. Some of you are not only feeling embarrassment or shame, there's going to be some pain Pain that others have caused you, pain that you have caused others in mishandling romantic love or mishandling physical intimacy. Jesus understands all of that pain. Jesus celebrated all of his Father's word, including this book, the Song of Songs. And he is here with us. And he knows how things can get broken. He also knows that when this part of God's good creation is working as the Father who gave it intends it, 
It is something beautiful and worth celebrating. So, through the embarrassment, can you celebrate with me as we read some samples from this book, The Song of Solomon? In chapter 1, the male lover is speaking to his beloved. Now, there's a collection of poems, and, and they're not in any particular order. So at some point in the sequence, they get married. Some of the poems come from a point in their relationship when they're not yet married, and some come from a point when they are. You'll probably be able to tell the difference when you hear the word bride used, okay? But in the beginning, chapter 1, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Chapter 2, the beloved, the young woman is responding. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. And his fruit is sweet to my taste. He's taken me to the banquet hall where we can drink wine. Now, she's not thinking about drinking wine. They're thinking about drinking each other. And his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. The lover responds, another poem later in the book, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Go ahead and laugh if you need to. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. They're so white. And each one has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Again, we laugh, but like ancient Israel, dental hygiene, different standards. <laughs> your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Now, the reference is probably to the color of this woman's skin glowing like a ripe pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, and all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. If you need to giggle, go ahead. Like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon, an area of wilderness. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Senir, the summit of Mount Hermon. From the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of the leopards. I don't want you to be where it's dangerous, sweetheart. Come be with me. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You stole my heart. With one glance of your eyes and one jewel of your necklace. And more than once, the beloved, the young woman, says to the other 
single ladies in Jerusalem. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, your goodness is beyond our ability to imagine. You are good as a giver of gifts. Scripture says in the book of Genesis that you gave to men and women the gift of a one flesh love that is larger than physical intimacy, but not less than. One flesh is literal and physical, and it is everything else. We thank you for that good gift. Some of us feel pain when we think about that gift. And you are good to heal the deep places in our hearts. Show us your goodness today. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So here is, here is the Song of Solomon in one picture, right? This roller coaster ride that is simultaneously, well, it's what she's experiencing, which appears to be sheer joy, right? And then he is trying to. He's giving it his best effort, but he's not quite as into this ride at this moment as she is. If you've ridden a roller coaster, or even if you haven't, you probably haven't ridden it because you think it's going to be terrifying. (laughs) But it's exhilarating and it's frightening all at once. You know that feeling if you strap yourself in to get ready and you're clicking up that first hill. And your palms get a little sweaty. And your stomach ties itself in some knots. And you're asking yourself, what in the world did I get into? But at the same time, you just can't wait to go over that first hill. The Song of Solomon is like that. It says about romantic love. It says about the kind of intimate passion that leads to a marriage relationship. It says about sexual intimacy, it is like this. It is thrilling and terrifying all at once. And I can't wait, but gosh, don't do this till you're ready. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't get on that roller coaster unless you're ready to go all the way to the end. Because once you drop over that first hill, it's going to rip you apart in a way that is scary and lovely all at once. Song of Solomon is that book of Scripture that celebrates romantic love between a man and a woman, and it celebrates the intense physical expression of that love in the intimacy of sexual relationship. So now we come to that second problem we mentioned earlier. I don't belong. What if I've never been married? What if I'm like Jesus and I never get married? What if I haven't had sex in a long time because my wife has died? Or because my husband left me? What if I'm 12 and I don't like the kissy parts of movies? 
Do I not belong? Am I the kid who's not tall enough to get on the roller coaster? And all my family goes off without me and I stand there and watch them have this great time and I'm kind of left out of it all? Well, we have to fit this book of Scripture into a bigger framework, a bigger biblical framework that says you do belong because every human being is involved in some kind of love relationship. There are many kinds of love, and so we don't have time to fully unpack all of these, but let's just remind ourselves of three kinds of love. If you wanted more detail, read a book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves. And he describes these three different kinds of love. The fourth love is love for animals. Um, How we love our pets. Agape. This is a Greek word. Love for neighbor. Right? This ought to be part of every relationship we have. That we should be ready to sacrifice ourselves for the good of other people. Even if it's a stranger lying in a ditch on the road to Jericho. As Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's agape love, love for your neighbor, love for someone in need, giving of yourself. So nobody stands on the side and waits while everyone else is in a love relationship. If you are alive on this planet, God designed you to love people with this kind of love. Now, this kind of love should not be exclusive. We shouldn't look at our neighbor and say, hmm, not going to love you. This kind of love is indiscriminate. You love everyone in this way that's what we were made for jesus said so right love your neighbor as yourself second kind of love philia another greek word love for family love for friends brotherly love you might hear it described as sometimes right now this this is a kind of love that's not going to be indiscriminate not everyone is a member of your family Not everyone can be your close friend. So agape, that kind of self-sacrificing love, is intended to be exercised in every relationship we have. And then there's a kind of love for friends and family that we apply to a much smaller group. You know, how many friends can you have at once? We're different. Some of us have three close friends and that's enough. Some of us are really social and we need 30 close friends. But it's 30, not 3,000. It's three, not three million. So philia, this kind of love, is more exclusive and applies to a smaller circle of people. And then there's a kind of love called eros, love for your bay. <laughs> right? Now, if you need me to translate, bay is not a Greek word. Eros is. Uh, bay is an acronym before anyone else, right? The the person you love most. More serious than your boo, right? (laughs) But not necessarily your husband or wife yet. So bay is big enough to include husband, wife, but it can also include somebody you haven't married yet, right? Just like the Song of Solomon in some of these poems, young man and woman are in this relationship that's developing and growing toward marriage, and in some of them, they're already married. Eros, love for your bay. Um, this is exclusive. You're not called to love everyone in this way. You're not called to love a small number of people in this way. You are called 
If you're called to this kind of love at all, and not everyone is. Jesus was not. The Apostle Paul was never married, as far as we know. Not every person is gifted to be married. That's okay. We know it's okay. We know that's something that God calls people. But everybody's called to some kind of love relationship. Where it's loving family, loving friends, loving neighbor. And then there's a kind of relationship where all three of these get stacked on top of each other. And where you love one person in all three of these ways. Where you say to a spouse or to someone with whom you're in a relationship that's leading toward that kind of commitment. You say to them, I will give myself for your joy. That's agape. And you say to them, I want you to be in my life and I'll do whatever it takes to experience the world with you. That's philia. And then there's this next level of eros where you say, what world? I don't want to do the world with you. I just want you. And the world has kind of disappeared for a moment. That's what this woman was saying, right? When she said about her lover, uh, I delight to sit in his shade. There are a whole bunch of trees in the forest. But when I walk in the woods, I only see one. I see his tree. I want to sit in the shade of his branches. His fruit is sweet to my taste. In fact, none of the other trees even have fruit. (laughs) There's this exclusivity, this focus on one. That's depicted here in the song of Solomon. It's part of this larger framework of love relationships that are described in Scripture. So there's no sense that you don't belong. Even this young woman speaks to other women who are not in such a relationship, doesn't she? She says, daughters of Jerusalem, if you're not on the roller coaster yet, don't get on until you're ready to ride all the way to the end. Because this thing of stacking all these loves on top of each other is exhilarating and thrilling, but it'll do a number on you. It'll turn your insides upside down. So, we're all in some kind of love relationship. Some of us are in a kind of relationship that combines all three of these. Where we love someone with a committed, self-sacrificial love They are our close friend. We do life together with them. And we put them before anyone else. Third problem. We're broken. Can any of that be undone today? I read a story this week of a uh, a member of a a ministry that I'll describe in a moment, having a conversation with a child, a young boy, maybe nine years old, if I remember the story right. And this nine-year-old boy had been exposed to lots of unhealthy and ugly images of sexuality. Because this nine-year-old boy didn't live in another century, he lived right now. And you know that you don't have to go far 
to be exposed to really ugly things that do a lot of damage to your soul, to the way you view other people. And this little boy is filled with shame and this sense of, I should not have done that. I should not have looked at those things. And this adult man sitting with the little boy said, you know what I think Jesus would say about this? I think Jesus would say, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea than to meet my father after hurting a little one in that kind of way. Jesus knows about brokenness. And he is angry. And that man said to that little boy, this should never have happened to you. No one should have done this to you. No one should have made images like this in the first place. And if they made them, they should not have made them available so that you could see them. This should never have happened to you. There are a lot of things that we could listen to or see in our world about love, about romance, about sexuality that are really ugly. And today Jesus wants to turn us in a different direction and say, listen to my Father's word. And you won't hear ugliness. You will hear something totally different. Now, if you would like help, and learning how to make that turn from the ugly to the beautiful, here's a ministry I'd like to recommend to you. It's called True North, the True North Freedom Project. If you'll Google that, you'll, there are lots of businesses out there called True North. This ministry you'll get to by Googling True North Freedom Projects, based here in Atlanta. And they, uh, they help in a lot of ways with, with undoing some of our brokenness in the area of sexuality. But one of their specialties is helping parents learn how to talk with children about beauty in a world that's full of a lot of ugliness. So I'm happy to be able to recommend that to you. What I'd like to do now is just to taste a bit from uh, Song of Solomon what our Father says about this kind of love. It's not shameful. It's not ugly. It's real. It's intense. It's beautiful. The reality here, listen again to some of the images used. We get a description of um, sitting in the shade and tasting fruit. That's a physical image. The reality of lovemaking. Taste. All my senses engaged. The Bible doesn't shy away from saying, hey, you know what? It's good to enjoy sexual intimacy with your spouse. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to talk about how real that is and can be. You have to do something with your arms. In a moment of 
physical intimacy. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. This is not generic, you know, get away from that stuff. This is reality. This is reality. You don't even have to talk about Jesus while you're having sex with your husband or wife. Chapter 2, verse 7 says this, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. That's a weird image. Normally in Scripture, when you're charging someone to take an oath, you charge them in the name of the Lord God of hosts. Well, guess what? There's a little wordplay here. The phrase for gazelles and does sounds exactly like, with a couple letters changed, that phrase, swearing by the Lord God of hosts. So here's God in his word telling us, you know what? In this moment when everything else has disappeared and all you can focus on is your husband, your wife, and that kind of one flesh union, you don't even have to speak my name. It's okay. That's the way I designed this to work. You can talk to me another time. <laughs> there will be another time for prayer. The reality with which Scripture approaches this kind of physical and romantic relationship is just beautiful. It's lovely. There's no embarrassment. It's powerful. It's intense. So intense it can be dangerous. Don't arouse this until you're ready. Go over that first hill, your stomach's going to get ripped out of you. There are, there are places in the book of, the, this book that, you know, that say, hey, love is stronger than death. It will consume you. So be careful. It's thrilling but dangerous at the same time. But above all, it's beautiful. Listen to this young man who he delights to pay attention to every detail of his bride. I've studied your hair long enough to say what it reminds me of. It reminds me of goats. <laughs> I've looked at your teeth and I've found a really awkward way to talk about them. And I've looked at your lips and I've thought about what color your skin is. And little deer that have just been born like to play, but they're kind of awkward. And so when I think about your breasts, I feel that way too. I get kind of playful, but at the same time, I'm kind of awkward. I don't know what to do with this. But nothing about this is ugly. It's not harsh. It's not crude. It doesn't leave you feeling like, well, like the woman that he's loving is somehow less human because he loved her in this way. And the whole book is poetry. Poetry says, I have, I have slowed down and carefully thought about how all these words fit together. There's a patience here. Think how different this is from how sexual relationships are often portrayed in our culture ravenous lust that cannot wait to satisfy itself spontaneous in the moment casual it's a hookup there's nothing casual here my bride i have taken time to know you in every detail about you from the top of your head 
down to the hill of spice. And if you need me to tell you what that is, then you are not ready to awaken love. There's beauty here. There's patience here. There is adoration here. There is not manipulation. There is not exploitation. There is no hint of violence. What a glorious depiction of how our Father intends this kind of love to be. It's one of the reasons that I don't talk about sex when I do premarital counseling. And some of you are going, "Uh uh-huh, I knew it. You're a prude. Bow tie wearing guys. That's what I expect of you. The reason I don't talk about sex is because in our culture, sex signals something purely physical and biological. But when Jesus gets a hold of us and he can undo what's twisted in our hearts, we start to sense that a real lover doesn't want sex. He wants intimacy with his bride. And the one is a way to get to and express the other. And so in premarital counseling, I talk a lot about sexual intimacy or physical intimacy or marital intimacy. And the point is, that's what we want, is the intimacy. That's the picture we get from our Father here. Reality, no embarrassment, no shame. This real sense of intimacy. Okay, so there's something better, and we can have it if we're good enough, right? Because this is God's self-help book. No, we need something bigger than ourselves. The Song of Songs says, or it at least implies, that someone bigger than ourselves is rescuing us. It doesn't say how the rescue happens, but it presupposes that the rescue is happening. Rescue from what? And rescue to what? Three categories that we defined in all of the wisdom books of Scripture. Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs. It's this common structure that they have. We're being rescued from religion and from resignation and to redemption. We talked a little bit last week about the book of Ecclesiastes and what it says about the religion of work. The Song of Solomon implies that we can be rescued from the religion of sex. From the idolatry of making romance the center of our lives. Whether it's work or love or sexuality. Religion will say to you, your identity, the source of meaning and purpose in your life will come from doing this thing. And you see where that will lead us, right? If your identity and purpose and significance comes from romantic love or sexual intimacy, then many of us will feel like we don't belong. Like we don't get to ride the roller coaster. Because if meaning and significance and purpose for me come from that and I don't have it, or I don't have enough of it, or I had it in too many broken forms to ever be healed, 
then that religious, idolatrous approach would say to me, you can never find real meaning and purpose in life. The Song of Solomon says you can celebrate this without worshiping it. It's it's assuming that we can be rescued from that kind of idolatry. There's another thing we can be rescued for. It's resignation, rescued from. Resignation is what happens when you go, I've given up on searching for any meaning or purpose or larger truth in life. And all I'm going to do is try to numb the pain until death tracks me down. Religion says, oh, you can find meaning and purpose. You find it in enough work or enough romance or enough expression of your sexual identity. Resignation says, nope, been there, done that, tried that, won't work, going nowhere. I'm just going to try to numb the pain. So pornography becomes a way of numbing the pain. Prostitution comes a way of numbing the pain. Or maybe even just trying to be the best husband I can be or the best wife I can be is my way of numbing the pain. But I've kind of given up, and all I'm looking for is another hit of numbness. And when you read the Song of Solomon, you don't, you don't get numbness at all. You get this message that this kind of love and these physical expressions of it are not the center of our universe. And yet it's okay to awaken all of your senses, not numb them and dull them. This whole book presupposes that we're being rescued and redeemed. Now, if we had read this book in ancient Israel, we would have looked to God to deliver and redeem us. Reading it now in light of the fuller story, we see that God has rescued and redeemed us through His Son, Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to be your bee, not your bay. Not before anyone else. I want to be before everything else. I want to be the one who's bigger than your shame. Through my crucifixion and resurrection, I want to become bigger to you than your broken heart. Bigger than your sin and failure. Bigger than the pain you have caused to other people by mishandling this dangerous thing. I want to be to you bigger than all of that. So Jesus wants to turn us loose from those categories of religion and resignation and release us into this bigger category of redemption. Yeah, there's a roller coaster back there, but the park is way bigger than the roller coaster. And even when the park goes away, there's still that big blue sky and that great wide world. Jesus is big enough that we can put everything under his goodness. One of the things we put and explore and experience under his goodness is romantic love and the way it ought to be expressed 
and the physical intimacy, one flesh union within marriage. But there are a whole lot of other great things that can be redeemed and explored. None of them will give us meaning and significance. None of them are just there to numb us. All of them come under His goodness, His mercy, His kindness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You for being a Redeemer. Thank You for freeing us from the ugliness that idolatry and religion lead to. Thank you for promising us that there is more to life than just numbness that precedes extinction. Thank you for being a Savior. We pray in your name. Amen.